Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So this question is aimed mainly at the non-English people in the room. Do you know who Robert Earnshaw is? I do. You do? Yeah. Tell me about him. Uh, Welsh dude. Yeah. yeah. He was a forward. Yeah. Uh, he played in Premier League for quite a few times. That's right, yeah. Do you know he's the only player to have scored a hat-trick in all four English divisions and international level? Oh, that's impressive. He holds a record for that. But he's now retired from football and he's become a bit of a sort of cod philosopher on Twitter. I don't know if you follow him, Lewis, if you <laughs> I've seen know about some this. of his tweets, yeah. He did a tweet which caused quite a stir recently. He wrote, since we sent robots to Mars before sending humans, isn't it possible that the first extraterrestrials that we encounter on Earth could not be the aliens themselves, but might be their technology instead? Now, my first question about that is, what is he talking about? Because I don't really understand that. I don't, they they, they I th- send their robots first, you know. Yeah, right. I think he's right. But what are the robots? Like our mobile phones or something? Is that no, what like, he's like, like we put like this, you know, thing on Mars, that, like the rover. Yeah, I know about that. Technically, we sent a dog up first, so we're just going to get like the alien version of a dog come down. <laughs> but what, what, are the, what are the extraterrestrial robots on Earth right now that he's talking about? Oh no! No, we, no, no I think about yeah. He's not Earth. saying they're here he's, yet. He's oh, saying yeah. like, are they the first thing? Space. Are right. they the first thing that will arrive here? I think. I think. Right. It's, I think it's right. It makes sense. He's a very smart man. Yeah. yeah. He also did a tweet where he said, "Would you rather have a one-minute conversation with your past self or your future self?" That's it's deep. pretty deep. It is, isn't it? Oh, definitely my future self. What would you say? Ask, I don't know. Ask, I'm, I'm guessing that ask? my future self. What would you ask it then, Helga? Like Bitcoin stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> like who's gonna win the like the, the, the next big thing to invest in? Like, yeah, investment stocks yeah. and shit. Like but, but you betting. were saying about asking something or like having a, a conversation. conversation. Well, you got a one minute conversation. You can say anything. I guess, okay, but, but but yeah, I would like to talk to the future me because mm. I mean, if I talk to the future me, and I don't know, like me with. Uh, 60 something and I'm not interesting enough I need <laughs> you're gonna end it now yeah I, mean, yeah, yeah. I need not, to question myself whether or not you speak to your past self you've got to just like does it influence anything I think that's well, the I question I have to yeah I mean if you were, if you spoke to your past self you could say don't um, you know, don't do not do this don't drink don't five drink. pints tomorrow night because, you say when uh, somebody asks you speak to your future self yeah. because this hasn't ended well yeah I mean, I suppose it's the same thing, isn't it, really? You pass All these years, well, Robert Earnshaw okay, wasted like, on might football. might be that you are, like, 65, and like you're like, fuck, like, I really fucked up my life, but I can't tell you where I went wrong. Then what do you do with that information? Like, you just sit there like, well, I'm going to fuck up my life, mm. but I don't know when or how. This is going to be crappy. <laughs> <laughs> you just know that for the rest of your life yeah. until you're 65. Would you like to know when you're going to die, podcast. do you think? No. No? No. Rather no. not, no. Would you? Mm. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it could be quite depressing, but it could also be like, oh, you're going to die when you're 85. Great. I'll, 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 Black can, but then when you're, 80, but then when you're <laughs> 84, you're going to be really, you know, scrambling to get shit done. True, true. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I don't want to know. No. I suppose we better move on, aren't we, really? <laughs> Welcome to the One Football <laughs> Podcast. I'm Dan Burke. Joining me today is Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Helga Voltman. Hi. And Andre Gonsalves. Hello. Do we enjoy the international break, gentlemen? I must admit, I'm going to lean on you quite heavily in this section of the show because it's quite unprofessional, but I didn't watch a single minute of international football. Not a single minute. Even when I was in the office, I wasn't looking at the TV. <laughs> we're avoiding the yeah, screen. Boycotted it. Well, I only watched what I had to for, 
for job reasons <laughs> the rest I so that says a lot about the competition <laughs> <laughs> so the nation's league is off to a flying start well yeah amongst football lovers yeah that was going to be my next question what do we think of it now it's up and running is it i mean it it it, it makes friendlies obsolete in a way when it comes to european football uh at the same time it's going to be a bit boring not to see uh, teams from south america playing European teams during friendlies, which is something that was quite common and mm. not anymore, apparently. Um, and uh, it doesn't bring much enthusiasm to the competition until we're going to reach the uh, knockout stage, mm. I think. So until there, we're just going to be doing whatever Elga was saying like <laughs> if I need to watch this I'm going to watch yeah. it but I don't feel like I think the the second iteration of the competition might be interesting when you have like I don't know maybe Germany or England or Spain get relegated and then they feel like <laughs> humiliated <laughs> playing like if they feel like they're playing below their level and then they yeah, yeah the like, then I, teams I might take it more seriously. No idea how the whole thing works. No, okay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a long. Yeah, I, I know how it works. Like I've read it and like we've, we've done articles on it, but I just like I forget. Ironically, I find this competition way more interesting for the teams at the bottom mm. than the ones at the top. You just yeah. want to see like how Luxembourg players celebrate. Because uh, <laughs> we've seen Luxembourg doing quite well, and this is something really important for the team. And for the people usually watching the games, like f football is not that popular in Luxembourg or not used to it. Uh, not anymore because it's now we have Dudelange in uh, the Europa League group stage for mm. the first time ever. And we have, um, I think they're going on a five game streak without losing. For for a team like Luxembourg, it's pretty it's not amazing. Bad at all, yeah. I remember when yeah. they went like twelve years without winning or something. Exactly. Didn't they? Yeah, it's yeah. nice that Kosovo has won the first competitive game now. Really? It's, yeah. yeah. In the so history. for 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 the teams at the bottom of the pyramid, it's just quite interesting. Mm. Like the other, they don't get to play the big teams as much anymore. Yeah, but yeah. There's they're no not, point, though, is there? If you're just going to get battered every time. Really. The thing is, if, nice wanna, thing if, to, you if, know, if you want to develop, if you're a like third league player, like you cannot mm. play against teams like France all the time. So like, it's nice. True, just true. Just but if you want to develop football in places like Kosovo, for for instance, it's going to take more time than expected. Mm. They're going to need to progress on a pyramid in order to get to the big boys. I don't know if this is a, the best way to go. To be hmm. honest, well, England are fighting relegation already. They lost to Spain Classic on Friday England. night. Classic <laughs> England. They bounced back with a uh, thrilling 1-0 win over Switzerland. Uh, Ross Kemp got very excited about that uh, that one on, on Twitter. I don't oh, know if you saw he? that. No, yeah. I didn't. He sort of celebrated the goal in the way that somebody who doesn't like football would celebrate a goal in a meaningless friendly. Uh, very performative from Ross, that. His least convincing performance yet, which is really saying something. What did you make of England's performances over the international break, Lewis? Do you think there's a bit of a World Cup... Riding the crest of a wave still, or is it... Uh... Possibly the opposite. I think the World Cup got people excited and maybe these two games brought people back down to earth a little bit, playing against Spain especially. There's Spain, obviously, one of the best teams in the world, no matter what happened over the summer, and now have a bit more stability with a manager again, which is always good to have. Mm. Um, and I think we saw probably what you saw from England's games at the World Cup when they struggled a bit. It's just there's not enough quality in the middle of the park to really control the game there and it's the big question for Gareth Southgate to figure out over the next year or so 
or two years until the next competition, but you don't want to figure it out, you know, just before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, do England have another way of playing? Can they play in another way other than this formation that's worked for them? Um, and I don't think we're any closer to actually knowing that no. yet. Well, Southgate said something quite interesting. He said, we have a choice. We can either go back to our old style and we'll never be a top team, or we can keep trying to do what we do and suffer at times. Isn't that's right? strange. I do, there are... I don't know if it has to be that black and white. Yeah. Like, there's not only two ways of playing football, so you don't have to go to four four two and route one big man, little man up front. You also don't have to play three centre backs and two really attacking midfielders. And there, yeah, I, maybe England. Maybe he feels they just don't have the personnel to really keep the ball and dictate play. Um, I think I assume that's what he means when he talks about suffering. Mm. Means you play against teams like Spain and Germany, and you're going to have to concede possession and sit back and dig in but I, yeah I think it's been there's been a surprisingly few variations it's just always this same formation it's the same at the World Cup mm. against Croatia when the wing backs were really hurt in England um, the Croatian wing backs England just kept with this back five and it meant that they outnumbered on the wings and I don't know why I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure I think there's there's a difference between being pragmatic and accepting you can't keep possession against Spain and then being as dogmatic as Southgate sounds when he says that. Mm. I was going to ask you about Marcus Rashford anyway. He scored both of England's goals in over the two games, but Jose Mourinho sort of answered this question, hasn't he? I mean, the question I was going to ask was, is it going to be sort of harmful to his development that he, go back, he goes back to his club now and he doesn't play up front? Yeah, so Mourinho's talked about, he's talked today on Friday about Rashford, that he plays a lot of minutes and I yeah, Rashford does play a lot of minutes for Man United, but what you said, that's the real issue. He's, he plays on the left, he plays on the right. Mm. When Lukaku's injured, he'll play up front for maybe one or two games and then he's back on the bench again and mm-hmm. shoved on the wing again. And you think it's that's fine as a young player. At some point, you have to have a position. You have mm-hmm. to play in that position. You have to develop and have a place in the team that's yours and you play in it every week. Um, and then for England as well, it's another thing can Rashford play when Harry Kane's going to play every single game mm-hmm. when Raheem Sterling's available exactly yeah. do that's what I mean I guess when I say maybe Southgate has to change the formation change the shape to work mm. other players into the team and yeah I think Marcus Rashford plays a lot for Manchester United but I do think it's damaging that he's not going to play the same position every single time he's on the pitch mm. Uh, Germany, on the other hand, held to a nil-nil draw with France before they got a narrow victory over Peru after going behind uh, quite early in the game. Helga, is there still a bit of a World Cup hangover going on there? Do you think? Well, yeah, definitely. There's, there's against France, it was basically defending, so that there would be a somewhat decent result. Because imagine if they would have been beaten like three-zero or something like that, then there would have been a big discussion again, again about the coach and everything. Um, <clears throat> in general, they're just still trying to find that balance because it was really defensive against um, against France, and then a little bit like too much again against Peru because they they really tried to press high. It was better than at the World Cup, and mm-hmm. I think they would have played that way at the World Cup. They would have gone through the group stage at least. It was better. It was more intensive runs, more sprints behind the the defensive line, for example. But then again, like you could see on the first goal for Peru. They they tried to to press really high or counter press even I, I'm not exactly sure anymore but it was really high up and then it didn't work and then they then then there was like the thing where they didn't know okay do we fall back now or do we still try mm. to press them and within that hesitation there was the pass 
five players were were out of the game and they just ran towards the the back four with like three or four players so mm. those things still happen and which was something that really didn't work at the world cup where they didn't press well and then they just got that yeah, like huge space behind them basically mm. so that's still going on and i think that's what Luf is going to try to somewhat figure out mm. how to how to find that balance were you surprised at all that yogi love was kept on after the world cup and i mean it was quite disastrous. I know he won the previous World Cup, so he's got a lot of credit in the bank there. But do you think maybe Germany could have done with going with a fresh approach after what happened? The, the thing is that it's, it's not surprising because it's typical DFB. Like they, they don't have a plan B for this. They, they did not see this coming at all. So there was kind of there was no big surprise that they wanted to to continue with him. Also, the big question is who should be replacing him because they are good coaches, but they want to like the like Kochel or club. They rather coach their, their clubs right mm-hmm. now they don't want to go into the national team there's like Heinke he could have maybe done it but he doesn't want to anymore he wants to retire then there is who else like Zama was being, being rumored but he mm-hmm. hasn't coached a, a team in I think 15 years yeah he doesn't yeah. want it he doesn't and want, he doesn't want to as well yeah. <laughs> so there's like who's supposed to replace him it's a bit of a dead duck isn't it international football nowadays nobody's really yeah I, I think <laughs> yeah. I think now the game is just tactically more I don't know, more intricate maybe than before and coaches you see Guardiola and Klopp and Tuchel they want to be working with the players every single day to really drill something into them mm. and international football it's a bit of a almost a bygone era of football yeah. where it's more, more about like, man management and coaching. I think it's more at the end of the career of yeah, a coach. coaching, yeah coaching a, a national team yeah. is good if you're like 60 something Spanier and Ericsson yeah it's made for people like, like the, him, the, the Portuguese <laughs> example is, is a good one Fernand Sanz coached everywhere. He was all over mm. the place, and then it was like uh, almost like uh, end of the uh, end of his career, like mm. a jubilation prize to yeah. to go and take over the. It feels like that. It feels like there are just a couple of types of international manager. That's one of them, and another one is managers who want big things, but the big clubs won't touch them anymore. Yeah. Like Mancini's gone mm. into Italy's not going to get a bigger job than that anymore and it seems like the last option Luis Enrique was out of work after leaving Barcelona and none of the big clubs really met his demands so it's almost like he's gone back to Spain to to put himself on the market for when a massive club needs a manager again yeah it's like (laughs) an intermediate position kind of like Lopetegui I take it and then as soon as I get the offer from the big club I'm I'm even I'm not even like coaching the the World Cup anymore I'm just Mm. gonna leave I'm risking like it used to be one of the biggest prizes for for coaches, but now it's just like I'd rather coach Real Madrid than lead Spain at the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, which is really weird. Speaking of Portugal, Andre, they won without Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, I didn't watch the game, but um, uh, by all did. accounts, they were quite good, weren't they? Um, I remember those days when we uh, <laughs> were winning games without Cristiano Ronaldo because he, he was not even born. And, uh, <laughs> um, just giving your age away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so um, it was an actual. Actually, it was a very good game mm. uh, from Portugal, and it was good to to see a lot of new faces. And most most of them were just twenty one, twenty two years old. Um, and in my opinion, some of them that should have been a part of the squad during the World Cup. Um, we discussed that during the World Cup. The, the team was too old. There were a lot of people in the squad they were there just because they were part of the group historically and they were not bringing anything mm. new to the team um and these new fellas um they want to prove themselves in this in these two games 
uh, Portugal played did a like a fairly good game against Croatia. A lot of substitutions and um, uh, the, the coach tried something different. It didn't work that great, like a tactical change. But against Italy, it was exactly um, uh, the best plan to beat Italy. It was the first time since '58 that Portugal beat uh, Italy on a competitive really? game. Wow, we we beat them twice, I think, uh, during friendlies. Mm. Um, but uh, to be honest, we, we are not playing Italy that often because we're not usually in the same group uh, when it comes to qualifying stage. But still, it's quite impressive. And Portugal won um, 1-0, but it could have been 3-4-5 mm. if, if it wasn't for Donnarumma, which was absolutely incredible during <laughs> the game. Um, it would be a much bigger win. And I was surprised because yeah. what we witnessed from Portugal in the World Cup was awful most of the time. <laughs> I remember you saying, yeah. I think it was the Morocco game in the groups. Yeah. Portugal won one I think you said that was the worst thing you'd ever seen. Exactly. <laughs> it was absolutely dreadful. <laughs> but um, I was happy with the way the Portugal performed against against Italy. Mm. Um, even Even tactically... There were some things that were not quite there, but uh, coming from Fernando Santos, I was expecting that. Mm. <laughs> it's not, it's not a miracle, but um, the 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 way uh, the young kids understood what they needed to do in order to get um, the three points out of that, it was different. It was it was really refreshing to mm. to watch. Yeah. Spain got two very impressive wins as well. They beat England. Well, it's not that impressive, is it? <laughs> uh, but they beat Switzerland 6-0. Uh, was it Switzerland? Croatia. 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 Oh, yeah, even more impressive. Yeah. Um, do you think this is the start of a, a bold new era under Luis Enrique, or is it a bit too early to say? It's a bit too early to say, um, but I have to admit that I, I was really surprised with uh, this core. Mm. It's not. I was expecting Spain to win. Uh, Croatia is a bit of a... Um, Transitional period, I would say, uh, without Subasic, without mm. Mandzukic, um, without. Uh, so, if you're Croatia, how do you, what do you do after you reach a World Cup yeah, final? Like, yeah. what, what, what comes next after that? There were some new kids also on the, on the Croatian team, um, and uh, they need a lot of time to to get back on track. Uh, it's it's going to be a hell of a work to to hell of a job to Dalic. After what what he did, and no one was expecting that, um, it, I was surprised that he, he stayed in the job, because I would I wouldn't I wouldn't stay, <laughs> I would try something else. Yeah, he probably would have never had a better time to, to go leave. for a really yeah. a really nice club job as well. Exactly. The Zinedine Zidane uh, <laughs> move, power move. <laughs> uh, but Spain were really really good. I would say they were normally good, what we we would expect, but they were incredibly effective. They they got and, and the goals really came at the right time. At the right they, time, they, yeah. the double of Asensio in within two minutes, and it was three zero. It killed it killed everything. Yeah. Um, and they they scored six goals out of uh, seven shots on target during the the match. <laughs> so it says how effective they were. Yeah. I think my favourite story from over the international break involved Roy Keane in the Republic <laughs> of Ireland. Um, Helga already swore in the intro, so I might as well say it. He was uh, there was a leaked WhatsApp uh, voice note uh, from uh, Stephen Ward, wasn't it? He plays for Burnley, mm -hmm. who uh, is a, also Republic of Ireland international. 
sort of relaying a story of Roy Keane having a bit of a Barney with um, Harry Arter and Jonathan Walters, and he called one of them a fucking prick uh, <laughs> many times. But Jonathan Lou wrote a very interesting piece in The Independent where he said this kind of um, ultra-masculine behaviour is a bit of, sort of, belongs to a bygone era and it's been phased out in football. Do you agree with that, Lewis? Do you yeah, think? definitely. Definitely. You see players now on a weekly basis break down the taboo of mental health and stuff like that players and clubs are very open about using psychologists and Roy Keane wouldn't have any of that um yeah I think he's yesterday's man in more ways than one bollocks, he would say to that I think, he would yeah. yeah um or something <laughs> something to the same effect um yeah I I, I think firstly it's it's just no way to I, I think it's become more accepted that that's no way to treat people or to talk to people and I also think it just doesn't get an impact anymore I think mm. Roy Keane when he was a player would talk to someone like that and it would really pump them up uh, or make sure they didn't do what they were doing again and everything would be settled I think now you talk to people like that and they just say well don't talk to me like that <laughs> yeah, also players I think they, they respond to more of the of the knowledge of a coach than you know like this this behaviour like this like oh I'm, a, I'm the big man kind of personality because if you look at, for example, Bundesliga coaches, there's a lot of them that have not had any big success as players. Mm -hmm. But as long as they are um, good at their job, as long as they can give them the players like what they need in like the tactical advice and how to develop as a player, they are being respected. Like, I think this is way more of a thing now. The, the knowledge than actually the, the understanding people is the, is the key to the to modern football and uh, being a human, like treating the other um, in a special way. Because if you know the person, you know how he's going to respond to whatever you're going to do. Mm. Um, and Roy Keane has only one approach. <laughs> and life is, is not like that. No. When Roy Keane was a player and when he was beginning his coaching career, I think you sometimes you couldn't tell how much of it was serious and how much of it was a bit of toying with the media or toying with people and pressing their buttons. And... Yeah, now he just seems like a prick. Mm. Basically, he's yeah. just gone like full into it. <laughs> I yeah, I, don't I was thinking get that. It. What right has he got to call anyone a prick? I mean, he <laughs> probably prides himself on being a bit of a prick, doesn't he? So. <laughs> Just a reminder, if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast with any questions, comments or general banter, uh, the email to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. Ibad Ansari has done exactly that. Uh, he says, hi guys, I'm a Spurs fan from Pakistan, probably the only one. I think we had some guy who was a Spurs fan in Australia writing once and claimed he was the only Spurs Australian fan. I think, I think, there, I think, I think it's likely <laughs> that there are more than yeah. one Spurs fan in all of these respective <laughs> nations. Uh, he says, I used to think Jose Mourinho was Robert Downey Jr. of the football world, but now he's more like Mel Gibson. I think I can see where he's coming from there, actually. Although after his performance at Wembley last week, he's probably more, um, what's the guy called? Michael Douglas, falling down. <laughs> uh, he says, anyway, any chance of Spurs winning anything this season with this squad? Um, Lewis Spurs host Liverpool at Wembley on Saturday, probably the biggest game. Um, Wembley hosts Spurs uh, and very Liverpool much so, at Wembley. Yeah. Uh, probably the biggest game across Europe this weekend, I would say. Do you think Spurs can beat Liverpool and do they have any chance of winning anything with this squad? 
they can definitely beat Liverpool and if they win something with this squad it will be one of the two trophies that you lift at Wembley because the squad's nowhere near big enough mm. to compete for the Premier League or the Champions League so the Johnson's Paint Trophy is that what <laughs> <laughs> is it still called that? Um, I think it's the Checker Trade Trophy oh, that's right yeah correct yeah. the very important Checker Trade Trophy um, try saying that when you're drunk <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so Spurs can definitely beat Liverpool. Spurs are one of the best teams in Europe on their day and Liverpool have started the season really, really strongly, but I don't for a second believe that Liverpool are going to go and win every single game for the rest of the season <laughs> or that Alisson's not going to screw up again or mm. that Virgil van Dijk is so good that no other Liverpool defender is ever going to screw up again. Um and with the players Spurs have, and under Pochettino especially, I think the most interesting thing about Spurs is that they can just play different ways. They can dominate possession, they can just press you high and suffocate you and make the whole game a nightmare. And they can dig in as well. They did it at Old Trafford a few weeks ago. Pochettino's gone into these big games the last few years, often playing a back three mm. or a sort of 4-2-3-1. And then it's almost like two strikers with Harry Kane and Lucas Moore up front at Old Trafford. And it worked really, really well, uh, especially in the second half. So Tottenham can definitely beat Liverpool. I think it will be a really, really good test for Liverpool mm. to see where they're sure, at yeah. and if they can go the distance and compete with City and everybody at this point anyway I think City and Liverpool are the two that mm. might win the Premier League this year um, yeah I think that's going to be a really really interesting game for Liverpool if Salah Firmino Mane are causing problems Pochettino won't hesitate to change things up mm. and I think the game I think you're definitely right with the best game of the weekend but the squad just isn't big enough mm. it, as soon as Moussa Dembele doesn't play Tottenham don't look as good in midfield and he's 31 and always struggling with injuries I think that's the big really big worry it's Harry Winks in midfield Eric mm. Dyer plays a bit deeper Wanyama's been injured it's, there's just central midfield there's just nothing there beyond Dembele I think mm. Helga the Bundesliga is in crisis those were your words, I think, actually. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, a well, a few of the teams, yeah. yeah. Leverkusen, Leipzig, Stuttgart, Schalke. Yep. All have very bad starts. What's going on? Uh, different reasons for, for for the different teams. <laughs> um, I'm just going to go through the, like, the teams a little bit. Like Leverkusen basically just had a lot of injury problems. Um, they Their first goalkeeper, Radetzky, they got in for, for Leno, has been injured and... As for example, against Wolfsburg, the one-one was a goalkeeper mistake. So these things happen there. Also, they basically don't have a, a central midfield right now. There is Las Bendas injured, Arangis is injured, or was, and uh, Baumgartlinger as well. So they had to play Havertz in the in the holding midfielder role, which is not ideal for him. So and then they also have a young squad that has to, you know, deal with all this and have like ups and downs mm. regularly. Also, they started bad last year, so I think they they're gonna bounce back from this. Uh, Leipzig to me is just I'm not the biggest fan of Rangnick I've said this a couple of times in, in the like when we looked at the Bundesliga before the start his approach with just pressing is a little outdated like that, that has been new 10 years ago and mm. by now the coaches just know how to how to counter it or like how to play against it but he's introduced the wheel of punishment that is true yeah <laughs> tell me about that uh, it is basically that he said the players don't care if they have to pay any money for as a sanction because they have a lot of money yeah, so they course, don't care yeah. for turn up lights of training and things like that yeah it? and yeah, so yeah. now they, they basically have to turn that wheel and then it's like <laughs> three hours of work in the in the fan shop yeah. or 
Community service, leader stadium, stadium yeah. tour. I think there's a cut the cut the pitch. I think is one of them, wow. and I think one of them as well is just you got lucky and yeah. you don't have to do anything. <laughs> oh. uh, and there's, there's one that was a bit of criticism the last couple of days, like a, a bit of a sexist, homophobic remark. Like a player will have to dress up in pink and oh, wear a God. tutu during training and stuff like that. Is one of the punishments which we were speaking about. Roy Keane being mm. a bit outdated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this whole thing with the will of punishment <laughs> it's I mean it's a bit Brexit isn't it <laughs> oh my god I, it's it's so ridiculous that I find, I struggle to understand how can it be possible in a club uh, with a structure of Leipzig it won't, su- <laughs> won't surprise you that it's actually the idea of the new assistant coach who came from the US oh yeah yeah, says it all. It feels like it, it feels no like offense to our American listeners. No, in England, it feels like the kind of thing that like rugby teams would do, mm. not and not professional rugby teams, just like guys who play rugby yeah. or, at university and stuff like that. Yeah, and then like yeah, for Leipzig to go back to, to the original <laughs> yeah. and also they they had like after the World Cup they started, uh, but the Europa League really really early into mm. it, uh, they they didn't replace Keita, which is a big problem for them. Uh, and yeah, so like with the World Cup ending late for the for the preseason, mm. then they still had to start really early with competitive games. So they they are kind of struggling as well, and they don't have a lot of really physically fit players right now. So that's why they're struggling a little bit. I think it's going to go on throughout the the season as mm. well because they're going to have these Europa League games for for a while now. Still going on. So Schalke, I think it's just still finding themselves. Mm. New midfield, Goretzka gone. Also had a little bit of bad luck with the first game with the referee decision where they got a red card with the VAR that was debatable at least. Um, and so they had some bad luck in there. Also, they, they I think now they're just going to play, is, is it Gladbach and Bayern now, I think? And so it's going to be a bad start, but mm. then hopefully, or like for them at least, they're going to find their footing later on. And Stuttgart going with that. I think they're just not that good. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they have. They, I said that before the season as well. Like they, they have a coach that is that's has been riding a wave last season. It was basically they just won the the first games under him by luck, and it was really narrow results as well. And then they just cruised it till the end of the season, and mm-hmm. now it's just. It's, it's still Typhoon Korkut. Like everybody was highly skeptical when he started, and then now everybody's like, "Oh, but he's a really good coach." It's like, like maybe he's just gonna, you know, regress to the mean a little bit more of just <laughs> being a an average Bundesliga coach again. Yeah. Like this is, I think, what, what's just happened to Stuttgart, <laughs> and they're gonna end up in the in the middle of the table. <laughs> uh, Andre, this um, La Liga game in the United States, Barcelona, Girona, looks like it's gonna go ahead in January, or there's been talk that it might not go ahead. Uh, I still don't think of... it's gonna happen. No, to be it's honest. not gonna happen. No. Oh. Um, so it's it's a long story when it comes to this uh, Girona, Barça. Uh, so Javier Tebas which is the uh, the president of the um, La Liga, mm-hmm. signed an agreement with uh, Relevant Sports, or the uh, organization behind the ICC. Um, it was uh, La Liga um, expands to America kind of agreement with a lot of interesting things when it comes to commercial rights uh, for both the league and the clubs. And uh, one of the things included in on that uh, agreement was the... Um, the possibility of having one game per season played in in America or Canada, mm. and Tebas really wants this to happen because he feels like uh, La Liga is losing uh, to Premier League when it comes to 
uh, America, and he, he, he contacted um, Bartomeu, the uh, Barcelona prison, mm -hmm. who said, okay, let's do it. So it sounds like a nice idea. And then he thought, um, we can do it with, we cannot do it with, with another big team like Madrid. And Real Madrid said that they wouldn't be interested in that, in mm -hmm. playing a, a game abroad. But so we cannot do it with this, but we can do it with who? Like not a, not a big club, but a club interested in business overseas. And Girona would be the perfect partner. You're part they're, of the City Football Group, Exactly. <laughs> and they said, oh yeah, let's do this. Yeah. But they forgot one very important thing. And they forgot to talk to the players about it. Mm. And now um, the the union of players of the professional players in Spain are saying that we're don't we don't agree with that, and we're gonna if we insist on this idea, we're gonna do a strike. Mm. They are um, thinking of going on a strike, and we're gonna know more about this in the end of this month mm. or beginning of, of October. But so far, if you cannot get the players on board, it's not going to happen. Well, you could get some YouTubers in there, whatever Denmark had last week. <laughs> some futsal players. So the other thing is, this is also is being um, reported in Spain as uh, a some kind of political problem. Because it's a game between Girona and Barcelona, two mm. Catalan teams uh, abroad. And they are afraid... That they this would be a political move mm. from the independent, independent, independent uh, movement from from Catalonia, mm. um, and at the same time, also the, uh, the the Spanish Federation is not interested in something like that. And even Pedro Sanchez, the prime minister, said that uh, maybe having a game, a Spanish game uh, overseas, is not a great move mm. at this very time. So I, I'm really skeptical about it. I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe in the future, but if they don't reach an agreement with the players, mm. it's not Especially happening. Javier Tebas is the only one who seems to think it's a good idea. He's super it? excited with that. Some <laughs> clubs as well. Yeah. Um, uh, Barcelona, for instance, it was they were really interested because mm. there's a lot of uh, Hispanics in Miami. The game would be played in, uh, in the Art Rock Stadium, the Miami Dolphins Stadium. And um, they were quite interested, but I don't think it's happening. Mm. We're going to have to be really quick with this, but uh, earlier this week, FIFA announced a 55-man shortlist for the uh, 2018 World Eleven. Um, they're going to announce the full team on the 24th of September, I believe it is. But for now, I want to know who's going to get in your team. And I want you to be very quick. Goalkeeper, Lewis. De Gea. Uh, I would say All Black is not on the list. It's not on the list. I'm, I'm just, just I, I cannot think about it. Uh, <laughs> but I would pick Buffon. Buffon. Just digging. I went for De Gea as well. Defence? Uh, Walker, Ramos, Varane and Marcelo. I can't remember who I went for. Walker, <laughs> Walker was in there and Marcelo was in there, but I can't remember who else. Okay, uh, Dani Alves, mm -hmm. Marcelo, uh, Godin, Ramos. Uh, Cavajal, Ramos, Chiellini and Marcelo. Midfield? Uh, De Bruyne, Kante and Modric. Busquets, De Bruyne, Modric. Yours was the same as Lewis. Yeah, it's the same as Lewis. Like we, that's what we do. Like Conte, De Bruyne, Modric. Yeah. We confer two peas in a pod. Uh, forwards? Uh, Salah, Messi and Mbappe. Messi, Mbappe and Cristiano. 
uh, Salah, Messi and Ronaldo. Mm, uh, interesting. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to my guests, Lewis, Helga, Andre, and of course, our producer, Damo. Uh, thank you to you, our faithful listeners. We'll be back this time next week when we'll be talking about all things Champions League. So we'll see you then. I